0: Hey, family, how we doing? It is so good to see you this morning. I got to tell you, I look forward to our times of gathering every single week, simply because every time we gather, God shows up. And he does something that only he can get credit for. And as we continue to worship today, as we lean into the Word of God together, I fully anticipate and expect him to do exactly that amongst us. So I'm so glad you're here. Those of you here in Rock Island, excited that you're here. Bettendorf family, love you guys. Those of you joining us online, so glad that you're here. And listen, if you're a guest with us today, we are pumped that you have chosen to join us. We know it's a big deal for you to come through the doors of the church. It takes a lot of courage to walk through the doors, and so we are honored that you would choose to worship with us today. My name's Justin. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Specifically, I get to serve as the campus pastor of our Bettendorf campus, and I'm just honored uh, to come and engage the Word of God together with you. Now, last weekend, we began a five-week journey in which we've just been exploring the stories or the parables that Jesus communicated in an effort to kind of communicate important truth uh, that he wanted to get across. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm so excited that Jesus used stories because I love the stories. Anybody love stories out there? Yeah, all right. Some people love stories. Now, here's the deal. I love funny stories. I love the action-packed stories. I even love the drama stories. I watched a chick flick with my wife this week, okay, and I just love stories, but I Especially love stories that over the course of the story work out an important truth. Now my wife and I, we have two kids, and one of the commitments that we made early on is that we wanted to share our love for story with our kids. So we made the decision to every night to read stories to our children. For example, last weekend, last Saturday morning, my son and my daughter and I went out on what we call a daddy date. And after going to the children's museum and seeing the Doc McStuffins exhibit, which you gotta check out, right, we made our way across the parking lot to the Bettendorf Library where we picked up this bad boy. All right, this is a book by the name of Drat That Fat Cat. All right, Drat That Fat Cat. And it's a cute little book. It's about a guy that uh, lives alone, that kind of likes his house clean and tidy and quiet. He has kind of this unique collection of cacti. All right, and so he's going about his business. And then one Saturday, there was a ding-dong at the door. And he proceeds to go to the door. He opens the door, and he finds an abandoned box. And in it is a, a homeless cat, And before he can do anything or say anything, that cat pops out and prances his way into the home, and the guy just sits there and goes, okay, I guess I'm going to give this a shot. Right, and it goes well for the first day or so. And then after that, this cat effectively, over the next few days, destroys his house. I mean, I'm not kidding. There's pictures in here of a cat wiping boogers on walls. All right? They're scratching up the refrigerator. He's eating the guy's mail. He's destroying his cacti collection. It even shows pictures of the cat that is, is pooped on the ground. Not necessarily doing anything, but the home is now disgusting, destroyed. It's smelly and it's loud. And so by the end of the week, This guy's had it, and he looks at that cat, and he says, get out, all right, and he kicks the cat out, not physically, but he kicks him out, and he says, listen, he goes about his work, he cleans up his home, and after probably a few hours, I would say, his home is clean, it's tidy, and it's quiet, but in that moment, he begins to realize that he kind of misses that cat. And so over the next couple days, he searches for the cat and eventually he finds them and they have a reunion. Now, I'm not going to give you the rest of the story because you might want to go check this out, all right? But after reading this all week long to my son, clearly I've internalized some of it, right? All right, two nights ago, he stops me in the middle, about the part where the cat is destroying this home, and he says, Daddy, Daddy. And he got the important truth that I was hoping that he'd get when he said, we're never going to have a cat. We're a dog family, Daddy, and I said, my job here is done. (laughs) Now, for those of you who are dog lovers, I'm going to take this book back in a few days to the Bettendorf Library. Feel free to check that out, okay? Cat lovers, please forgive me. Cats, like many things, are really cute when they're born, and then they grow up, okay? And so, but okay, okay, so listen, the truth that Jesus communicates in his stories are a little more profound than the story of Drat That Fat Cat. In fact, last weekend when we were together, when we began this series of exploring the parables of Jesus, we defined a parable as a simple story with a spiritual truth. Truth. A simple story with the spiritual truth. You see, Jesus used simple stories that were common to everyday people, things that they would have interacted with on a daily basis, and he pairs them with the truth an understanding that if he can connect important truths to things that people commonly interact with, that their chances of seeing and understanding and grasping those truths were much better. And what Jesus knew is that if his people, those who sought him out, could see and understand and grasp those truths, that it would change everything for them. And in the same way today, as we gather in this space, if you and I can, can see and understand and grasp the truths that are found in the parables and the scripture at whole, it can change everything for us. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn or click to Luke chapter 5. We're going to end it. We'll get to verse 27 here in a little bit, but I encourage you to go there. And as you do, let me give you a little more background about the parables. All right, about a third of Jesus's recorded teachings are found in the context of parables. And in fact, there's roughly 40 uh, parables found in the New Testament. And I say roughly because different theologians kind of break them out differently. For instance, what we're going to look at together this weekend is some theologians will say is one parable and others will define that as two. And you'll see that in a little bit as we get to those parables. All right? And as we do engage, I want you to know that in your outline, uh, there are kind of the who, what, when, where, why. I've kind of broken those down. Those are some of the lenses that we can read parables through. We talked a little bit about that last week. All right, So I encourage you, if you missed last week's message, go check it out because this is just a five-week journey. So we're going to have a chance to connect in, in a couple of the parables. But last week positioned us so that as we read God's Word on our own, that we can seek to understand some of the truths that are coming out of those parables. So I encourage you, go check that out. and as well as in your outline, if I could have put the entirety of Luke chapter 5 in your outline, if I could have fit it, I would have done that. Simply because Jesus, throughout Luke chapter 5, literally lives out the spiritual truths that he communicates in the last three verses of the chapter that we find in the parable. Now I couldn't fit them there, but I want to make, just take a moment to recap what has happened so that we can understand as we step in to this parable, just the important truths that Jesus is going to unpack. And so in Luke chapter 4, Jesus begins his public ministry, and he does so by quoting Isaiah 61. It's essentially Jesus' mission statement, his purpose statement, in which he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. He says, The Spirit has anointed me to proclaim the good news, to preach the good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom to the captives, to, to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to, to restore sight to the blind. And so what Jesus is saying is that I have come that I might preach the gospel, that I might bring healing, that I might set the captives free. And throughout the rest of chapter 4 of Luke, Jesus literally casts out demons, heals the sick, and travels from village to village to village, proclaiming the gospel. And then we enter Luke chapter 5, in which Jesus calls his first disciples— all right, now, disciples in those days, children uh, would begin to memorize the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, when they're about six or seven years old, All right, Anybody memorize the first five books of the Bible? Okay, that's pretty, that's awesome, right? That's impressive. So by the end, by they start at six or seven, by 13 or 14 then, they've memorized the Torah, and then the best of the best of the best are chosen to be disciples of rabbis. Now, How many of you would expect that Jesus, the Son of God, would stepping out of heaven, would have the best of the best disciples? Anybody? You'd think so, but he didn't. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 5, Jesus has an interaction with three fishermen. Why are they fishermen? They're fishermen because they didn't make the cut earlier on. They weren't smart enough, learned enough, intelligent enough. They weren't good enough to be the disciples of the rabbis of the day. And in fact, when Jesus interacts with them, they had gone back to their old family business. But they weren't even good at that. If you look at that interaction, they couldn't even catch a fish for the day when Jesus interacted with them. But in a moment, Jesus tells them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. These fishermen, these unlearned, didn't make the cut men. Now we're disciples of Jesus with a kingdom purpose. Jesus changes everything. Verse 12 comes along, and there's a moment where a man who the scripture says is covered in leprosy, a skin disease, comes and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Now, to give you some context, somebody with leprosy would have been considered unclean. If they walked into a group of people like us today, they would have to raise their hands and say, unclean, unclean, just to give everyone notice so that they could part the way so that they wouldn't touch them or be around them. But this man comes and he throws himself at Jesus' feet and he says, heal me, heal me. And do you know what Jesus did? He said he reached out and he touched the man. He touched untouchable. He touched the leper. This man maybe hadn't been touched in years. And Jesus touches this man. It's very clear that Jesus' way of life is a radical way of life. Then after this story, the four men love one of their friends so much who is crippled, they'll do whatever they can to get this crippled man at Jesus' feet, knowing that Jesus can heal them. So they are so desperate to get him there that they climb up on the roof of a home, they dig through the roof, and they drop the man at Jesus' feet. Now what's important to understand is the Jewish ideology at the time was that somebody was crippled for one of two reasons. Either their parents had sinned, or they had sinned. And so in the Jewish culture, they said, let them be that way, because clearly this is their punishment. But Jesus, in this moment, not only heals this man, but then he goes on to proclaim boldly that he has authority on earth to forgive sins. Wow. And as radical and as amazing as those things are, what Jesus does next in verse 27 is even more radical. Check this out. This is what it says, verse 27. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Now let me pause there just for a minute. Because it's really important that we understand what a tax collector is, okay? We're in the middle of tax season, right? Whether you use an H&R Block or TurboTax or an account, or whether you're awesome and you do your own, okay? We get a little bit about taxes. But the reality is in Jesus' day, tax collectors were the hated of the hated. They were despised. They were lower than dogs. You see, these were men that would go and they would pay the Roman government to collect taxes. Then they would go back to their context, and they would not only charge the taxes of the Jews, but they would throw on additional costs, sometimes multiplying the amount that the Jews had to pay them. So they were considered traitors. They were stealing from their own people. I mean, these were bad people. The Jews wouldn't even associate with them. In fact, if they saw them in public, they would walk by and not even make eye contact. And so what the appropriate thing for Jesus, a rabbi, to do in that moment would have been to simply walk by and ignore this tax collector. But not only does Jesus not do that, he stops at the table and look what he does at the end of verse 27. Jesus says to him, follow me. And Levi, who became Matthew, who wrote the first gospel in the New Testament, Levi got up and left everything and followed him. So, this hated tax collector, this scoundrel, this thief, this traitor, now became a disciple of the very Son of God. It's mind boggling. It's more radical than anything we see. The Pharisees were blown away. The Jewish people were blown away. Not only that Jesus would call this man, but then look what Jesus does. It says, Then Levi, Matthew, held a great banquet. Remember, he's incredibly wealthy because he's been stealing money from these Jews. right, he held a a banquet, a large banquet, probably had prime rib and buffalo wings, because that's what I think of with a banquet, right? And so he says, he held this big banquet at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? sinners. Another translation literally says, why do you eat with tax collectors and scum? And I almost get this picture of the Pharisees, at a distance, of course, because they don't want to be found in the company of those sinners, right? With their arms crossed with what I call the ugly face, just going bickering back and forth to each other. Who are these? Who is Jesus and these guys to be eating with this scum? Why is he eating with those people? Now, at some point, one of Jesus' disciples must have made his way over there because then they asked him, Well, why do you eat with those tax collectors and sinners? Why do you eat with this scum? And I'm sure that they didn't expect Jesus to respond. I don't know how Jesus heard this interaction, but he's Jesus, okay? So Jesus ends up responding, and look what he says. He says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. To repentance, you see, Jesus responds to this, these Pharisees' sharp questions with an equally sharp rebuke, in which he says, "Listen, I have not called to come those who think they are healthy. I have not called to come those who think they are righteous. I have not called to come. I have not come to call those who think that they're good enough. In fact, I've called to come those who called those who know that they're sick." I have come to call those who know that they are sinners, who know that they don't measure up, who know that they need a Savior. And it's in this moment, and in the moments that we've talked through in the entirety of Luke chapter 5 here so far, in which Jesus makes a very clear statement about the kingdom of God, and it's simply this, that the kingdom of God is intended for all people. The kingdom of God is intended for all people. Whether it's the fisherman who's been, you know, looked over and didn't make the cut, or, or if it's the leper who, you know, others avoided at all costs, or it's the person who feels like they're suffering because of their sin or their parents' sin, or if it's the tax collector who has a story of destruction in their past, decisions that they're not proud of. The reality is the kingdom of God is for all people. In fact, look at your neighbor right now and say the kingdom of God is for you. Do that for me. All right, now look at the other neighbor that you didn't choose the first time and say, yes, the kingdom of God is for you as well. (laughs) All right, the reality is, is that the kingdom of God is for all people. And can I tell you the truth today? The kingdom of God was even available to the Pharisee, but they were so hard-hearted and they were so blind that they missed it. But the kingdom of God is available to all people. Now, I love how the Pharisees respond to this, and it's not in your outline, but you can check it out later as you read Luke chapter 5. But the Pharisees, I think, are just speechless, all right? One of the rare moments in Scripture where they didn't have much to say, right? So I picture them, like, catching on their words, and they go, "Uh, uh, uh, why don't your disciples fast, right? Going back to a religious question. You see, the Pharisees, they fasted twice a week. Mondays and Thursdays, even though the law said they only had to fast once a year. I mean, they wanted to make sure that they were righteous upon righteous, that they checked the boxes. And so they asked Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? Now, Jesus is gracious in answering their request. And he says, listen, when the bride and groom are there, the guests celebrate. They don't fast, but a day will come when the bridegroom is taken away and they will fast. And in fact, as you see Jesus die on the cross, rise again, and then he ascends to heaven, we see that the disciples fast. In fact, fasting is an incredibly important spiritual discipline for you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus. And it's in this season, as we lead into Easter, this Lent season, that many of us fast. And fasting is simply giving up something with the intent of pursuing greater intimacy with God. Alright, so fasting is a really good thing. But Jesus answers their question, and then he gets back to the task of helping them understand some important truths about the kingdom of God. And this is where we begin the parable that Jesus begins to tell in verse 36. And he said, He told them this parable: no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have a torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match. The old. You see, the illustration of a patched garment would be, uh, would be something that was well known in those days. Patched garments were a normal thing because the culture around Jesus is there were a number of people who were poor, right? And so they would put patches on old garments in effort to extend the life of those garments. And so I, I just picture Jesus, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but having a new garment, a new shirt in one hand, and an old shirt in the other. And for him to say, no one takes and cuts up this new shirt to put a patch on this old one for a couple of reasons. One, the patch won't match the old shirt, right? And also, when you begin to wash that old shirt and that new patch begins to shrink, by the way, that's what happens to your clothes when you get new clothes and you wash them. You don't magically gain weight. Your clothes are just shrinking, all right? And so what he's saying is, when you wash that garment, that patch is going to shrink and it's going to tear away. But not only that, like, why would you cut up a brand new garment? Now, what Jesus was communicating to them is that as equally crazy as it sounds that you would cut up a new garment is the same as it's equally as nuts to think that Jesus came simply to patch up the old Judaism, the religious systems that they came to, that they were following. In fact, another way to say that is that the kingdom of God isn't about addition or subtraction, but rather transformation. The kingdom of God, Jesus is very clearly declaring, is not about addition or subtraction, but rather transformation. What Jesus is letting them know is that the kingdom that he came to bring, the kingdom of God that he came to usher in, wasn't about adding to or taking away from the Judaism or the religious sect that they were following at the time but that Jesus came to transform how they view the very kingdom of God. You know, this is one of the traps that I've fallen into because this, tra- this truth remains for us today. And it's the trap that I've fallen into, that I've walked along many others as well. And it's the idea and this misconception that in order to pursue the kingdom of God, to pursue Jesus, to walk with Jesus, is merely a list of additions and subtractions. There's a list of things you need to add and to begin to do, and there's a list of things you need to stop doing. Listen, we can add all kinds of good deeds. We can add coming to church. We can can add giving and and serving and all of those things. And we can even seek to eliminate and subtract maybe some of the sinful patterns in our life. But the reality is, is if we haven't let Jesus transform us, we're still the same old man. We're the same old person. And the good news is that through Jesus, we can be transformed. Because the kingdom of God is not about addition and subtraction. It's about transformation. And Jesus wanted his people to get that. He wanted the Pharisees to get that, but they missed it. And so he continues on here in verse 37. with This is what some consider the second parable in this. Similar truth that we're going to see, but this is what he says. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins... Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. You see, wineskins at the time, wine didn't come in bottles, okay? Wineskins were kind of uh, animal hides, goat hides specifically, that they would fasten together to create a watertight sack. And so after they fastened these hides together, they would pour grape juice into them, and it's within that sack that the fermentation process would happen, all right? And so as that process took place, different gases and whatnot were, were let out, and so the, the skin, those goat hides would expand, and, and they would utilize the kind of the elasticity of those hides to allow that process to take place. And so what was known in that day is that you wouldn't take a skin that is already expanded, that is already stretched to capacity, that is no longer has any of that elasticity, you wouldn't go and then put new wine into it simply because that skin would burst, right? And you would not only lose the wine, but the skin would be ruined. All right, parents in the room, this is kind of like a, uh, kind of like a diaper, okay? For instance, my one-year-old daughter, when her diaper is at capacity, that's a thing all right? And so the idea that you, when you would now put that diaper back on my daughter and let her do her thing again would result in what we in the Barnes household call a blowout, all right? And it's in those moments that I pray that my wife is present. Guys in the room said amen, right? Okay, now yeah, amen, that was great. Now listen, in the same way, or maybe similar way, the idea that they would take an old wineskin, these skins that had already been stretched to, stretched to capacity, and put new wine in them, everyone in within hearing of that day would have known that there is no way that you do that. In fact, that's why Jesus says in verse 38, no, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. skins." And what Jesus is communicating in this moment is a very clear picture that the kingdom of God cannot be contained by what has been, all right? The kingdom of God cannot be contained by what has been, but it requires something completely new. What Jesus is saying by using this analogy of the, the new wine must go into new wineskins is the, is the truth that, that the kingdom that he came to usher in, the kingdom that he came to bring, his rule and reign could not be contained by the current religious structure of Judaism. It could not be contained by the law. He's saying the kingdom that I have come to bring cannot be contained by what has been, but a new day has come. A new day is here. And now many of us are in this space and we're saying, man, we've been, we want God to pour new life into us. But for some of us today, we our lives have functioned like old wineskins. We're, we're so rigid and we're so set in our ways that God can't pour new life into us because we're just like an old wineskin. And what Jesus is saying is, I want to pour new life in you, but you've got to be a new wineskin. You have to be flexible so that I can pour that new wine in. But unfortunately, once again, the Pharisees didn't get it. In fact, look at what the Pharisees say verse 39. Jesus is talking about them. and He says, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. The Pharisees missed it. They were so blinded by the old wine, the old wineskins, the old way of doing things that they missed the very kingdom of God that they had supposedly sought all along. And I don't want us to be that kind of people, right? So in fact, I want to ask the question, how do we apply this today? The how question, how do we apply this parable? You're going to see in your outline there that I have a number of blank lines that are present. And my ask of you is simply to find time, maybe in the coming hours, maybe in the coming days, where you can just simply stop and find a quiet space to go, how do I apply this today? God, what are you trying to show me today? Perhaps you're in this place today, and in many ways you feel like the fisherman. You feel like you don't make the cut, that, that you've been passed over. Or maybe you feel like the leper where you just feel so dirty. You feel like others don't want to be around you. You feel like you're too dirty for God. Or maybe you're in a place today where you feel like the crippled man who's suffering because of his sin or the sin of somebody else. Or maybe you're in a place today where you feel like the, the tax collector where you're saying, because of what I've done, because of the people I've hurt, because of the decisions I've made, because of the lies I've told, because of the, 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 the mess behind me. And maybe today your application is to simply embrace that the kingdom of God is for you, that Jesus is for you, that God is for you. Maybe your application today is to stop allowing the things of your past to prevent you from interacting with the love of God in Jesus. Because here's what I want you to know today. Jesus just didn't come to tell cool stories. Jesus came to die for your sin. All of it. everything in your past. He came to die for it. His body was broken for it. His blood was poured out for it because the kingdom of God is for you. It's for you. And today my hope is, is if that you haven't taken that step to trust Jesus, to embrace his love for you, that today can be the day. There's no better day. In fact, if you're in that place today, on the back of your teaching outline are three steps and a sample prayer where you today can step from death into life through facing your faith and your your trust in Jesus. Now, if you do that today on your connection card, there's a box that said, I prayed to receive Jesus. Please check that. And when we receive this weekend's tithes and offerings, drop that in simply because we want to celebrate with you and then we want to walk alongside you. And so maybe today that's your application. Or maybe for some of us in the room, We knowingly or unknowingly have found ourselves like the Pharisees standing at a distance with our arms crossed, saying, how do those people think they can interact with the love of God? And maybe today you need to embrace the reality that the kingdom of God is for all people. Regardless of economic status, the color of their skin, their education level, their legal status, it doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is for all people. And maybe today that is your application point. Or maybe you're in a space today where you're saying, if you're honest, that you have maybe in certain areas of your life, you've simply patched them up. You've sought to put patches on them and you haven't really given them to Jesus to transform. And today is the day that you do that. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks and you've been, you've been having challenges for a while and you've sought to add things like a date night or maybe you started going to counseling and those things are great, but maybe today is a day in which you say, Jesus, I'm handing this to you. Would you transform it? Would you transform my heart towards my spouse? Give me the ability to see them as you see them. So that when he transforms and then you begin to do some of the stuff you're already doing, that you're positioned to walk into healing in your marriage. God wants to pour new life in your marriage. Maybe you're in a space today where you're not married, but you want to be married and you've been seeking out people to date and and you're going, okay, how can I find people that are godly? I'll go to church and find them, right? And maybe you've been going, you've been trying to add new things and do new things or avoid certain people, but maybe today the step for you is to say, Jesus, would you transform me? Rather than finding my value and my identity and who I'm dating or where they're at, maybe today you say, Jesus, I want you to define who I am. I want a love for you to consume me so that when that person maybe comes into my life, that they simply are there to help me chase more fervently after you. My identity and my joy and my contentment isn't found in them. Jesus, it's in you. Or maybe you're a parent today and you're saying, I just want to love my kids. I I want to pour into them. I want to equip them so that they can live out and experience and live into all that God's wired them for. And maybe you've been reading books with them. You've been taking them to classes. They're a part of all kinds of sporting teams. But maybe today your step is to say, Jesus, I want you to transform this area of my life. I want to pursue you and experience you as my good, good father. I want to experience your love for me, how you teach me, how you correct me, how you train me, so then I in turn can turn around and go and love and encourage and teach my kids that way. Or maybe it's your physical health. This is one that's a big deal for me, okay? Your physical health. I've told you, I've stood on this stage and told you I was built for stability and high winds, okay? That's my way of laughing about all that, right? In fact, I just recently agreed, uh, the guy was retiring, and and I told him jokingly, I'm like, ah, well, if you want to run a triathlon, I'll run it with you. Bad move, all right? So now I'm learning to swim as well, and I realized I'm more of a pontoon than I am a speedboat, all right? And so, (laughs) anyways, listen, so I've added these things. That's on June 17th if you want some comic theater, all right? It'll be there. But listen... Rather than me trying to patch up and add things, there's been a moment in my life where I had to go, God, my body is a temple of yours. And I asked him to transform the way that I think about myself. Because when, I, when he transforms that in me, it changes everything for me physically. Because I want my very body to be a source of worship. And now listen, I I didn't list off every area, but I believe that if there is an area where you know that maybe you've been putting patches on and you haven't allowed Jesus to transform, maybe your application today is to give those things to him and ask him to transform them. Or maybe you're in the place this weekend where you're saying, I've been calling out and asking God to fill me with new life, with new wine, but I'm beginning to realize that I've been so set in my ways. I've been so rigid. I'm like an old wineskin that it's no longer you know, has any elasticity in it. And maybe this weekend, your application and your prayers is that Jesus, would you transform my very life, my very wineskin that I exist in so that you're able to pour new wine in. And so my hope is this weekend is in the coming days that you can find a quiet space to simply reflect on how you can apply this this weekend. In your teaching outline, I've included two scriptures there. I'm not going to reference those today. All right? But I want you to look at them. The first one is in Psalm 139 where he just says, it's simply your place. Find a quiet place with God and say, Lord, search me know me? Would you point out the areas in my life that that maybe I put patches on or I become too rigid or where I'm not really believing and embracing that the kingdom of God is for all people? And then just simply sit back and listen. He'll bring those things to mind. And then the second scripture in Ezekiel 36, in which it's kind of a promise that God's the one who does the work. It says that I will take from you this heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. I will remove this old wineskin and give you a new wineskin. I will transform the areas where you've only been seeking to patch them up. And so find a quiet space this week and go, Jesus, how can I apply this parable to my life? Because here's the deal. God's the one that transforms. We simply have to give him permission God longs to pour new life into us, new wine into us. And it's my hope as a body at every campus and those of you online that we're positioned in the coming week and ready for Him to pour new wine in. Now what's really cool about this parable is that not only does this have personal application for us that are saying, God, pour new life into me, but there's also a corporate application. Because as a church over the last season, we have been crying out and gas- asking God to pour new wine into this church, new life into this church. And I, man, he is doing, and it. it is incredible. But one of the ways that he's done that is by leading us to a place where, we're, where he's asking us to create new wineskins. In fact, it's through this process that, that we then l- open the Esperanza Center. All right, where we began to identify that school-based partnerships are, are a unique new wine skin that God longs to pour wine into. And I got to tell you, he's doing it like crazy, and it's awesome. All right, the Esperanza Center, the Legal Assistance Center. yep. The Legal Assistance Center opened last month. I mean, we're having a chance to journey with people in that. At Jefferson School, we started with 12 families every other week in the pantry. We now serve 36 families a week's worth of food every other week. We have 110 kids registered for Crest for Christ, an after-school program where kids are hearing about Jesus, All right? At Thorogood Marshall, we have a pantry that just opened a couple months ago where we served 12 families, and the Rock Island County Jail got a, cre- moved for us to create a new wineskin there where we've had 15 inmates make first-time decisions for Jesus Christ. And the stories go on and on and on. But today, as we close, we get to do something kind of fun together where we get to pray and commission the newest wineskin that God is positioning us as a church to step into. And that's the opening of our Kiwani campus at the Kiwanee Life Skills campus there in Kiwanee. So I'm going to invite some of the men forward who are a part of that initiative. And as they come, I'm going to tell you just a little bit about this story and how this took place. All right, uh, It was about a year ago or so, a little over a year ago, that the uh, the decision was made to transfer the Kiwani campus, uh, which was a juvenile deten- uh, detention facility oversaw by the juvenile Justice Department, and transition that from DJJ to the Illinois Department of Corrections. And not to be like a correctional center that you would think of, but to be a unique wineskin, a unique opportunity, a three-year program where men who came into the program would, would learn and acquire new skills that ultimately would position them to transition and be productive members of society on the way out. So it's a really cool program. We're excited about what they're going to be doing there. But in the process of making that decision, they reached out to us and said, We really love the fact that heritage isn't all about heritage. We're about lifting up the name of Jesus. And they loved that about us. And they said, listen, would you come and would you consider opening a campus with live worship and and video teaching? Would you consider opening up a campus that meets weekly and worships here? And we said, only God can do that, right? Only God can do that. And so we stepped into that um, over the last season and pursued what that looks like. Now let me show you a couple pictures. This one here is the exterior of the Kiwana facility. All right? This is a picture of they, they kind of had a number of pods where they kind of have a hub with multiple branches off of it. All right? And so then over the last season, we've helped work with them to create this worship center which right now can fit 30 guys, and I gotta tell you, that thing's gonna be full here really quickly, all right? because they now have about 15 inmates, they're starting to receive them, Uh, but over the next number of weeks, they will receive more and more inmates every single week. And so Monday evening, we are gonna have our first worship service at our Kiwanee campus. How awesome is that? (laughs) And so as we close together today, this is a a group of men who are a part of the team. Uh, Last night, we had about another 15 guys up here. There's about 20 or so, 25 that are a part of that. Men, and you may be in a place where God stirs in your heart to be a part of what he's doing in and through this new wineskin. And I encourage you uh, at our Go Be Love tables at each of our campuses, you can sign up to be a part of this. And I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, Reverend Steve Abel is gonna be leading the charge over there. Um, And so we're excited about him leading the way. And I got to tell you, God's going to pour new wine into this. And what I love is what we talked about today is that the kingdom of God isn't just about addition and subtraction. Listen, these guys in this program is going to be great. They're going to acquire new skills. They're going to learn new things. But God is positioning heritage to be a vehicle whereby they not only add things to their life or maybe are able to eliminate certain patterns but which they can be transformed with the gospel because the kingdom of God is for all people, and it's for each and every one of those men and those staff members at the Kiwani facility. And so I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I want you to stand right where you're at. And as we close together today, we are going to pray a prayer of commissioning over this team and those that they represent, but also a prayer for us. And so throughout Scripture, there's moments where missionaries are sent out or leaders are sent out, and the, the people would lay hands on them as an act of commissioning them and praying for them and praying blessing over them. So as we close, I'm gonna actually ask you to extend your hand out. Here in Rock Island, Bettendorf, get in on this. Just go ahead and extend your hand out right toward the screen. And let's take a moment to pray for them. So will you reach your hand out with me? Lord, you are good. (laughs) Your kingdom is for all people regardless of our background, regardless of where we've been, regardless of our education level. God, whatever it is, Jesus, your kingdom is for all people. And it's about transformation. And it can't be contained by what has been. God, it requires something new. And so, Lord, I thank you for positioning heritage in a relationship with with the Kiwani facility, God to open a campus, a new wineskin, God. And our prayer is simple, that you would pour new wine into this wineskin. Not so that Heritage gets the credit, God. It's not about us. This is about you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray right now for every single one of these men, those who are here on stage, those who are a part of the team who are at other services, God, I ask that you would anoint them in a special way. God, grant them wisdom on how they can both love and serve the inmates and the staff there, God. I pray that it would be abundantly clear as people interact with them that you are in them. So God, I pray for great platforms and relationships to be built. And I pray, Jesus, that you would do something in that space that only you can get credit for. The reality is we're not bringing you, Jesus, into the Kwani facility. You're already present. And we just get the opportunity to join you in that. So God, I pray blessings over these men. God, I pray for men that you're stirring in their hearts right now to be a part of this. I pray that they would take the bold step, that they would make that move and join this team. God, I pray for Steve as he leads the charge here, God. Thank you for the anointing and gifting on that man. And I pray today, God, that you'd give him wisdom, grant him favor. And God, may you use him in a way that is disproportionate to who he is so that you get the glory. And Lord, I pray for all of us today. As we've read Luke 5, as we've seen, Jesus, how you lived and how you, in a radical way that you brought about your kingdom, as we've wrestled with the application for us today, Holy Spirit, I pray simply that you would give us clear application. Show us the areas where maybe we have been uh, failing to embrace that the kingdom is for us, feeling like we're too far gone. God, make that clear today. Or Lord, if there's areas in our life where we've been putting patches on, rather than letting you transform, would you show us that today? And God, if we're, our wineskin is, is old and it's rigid, and would you show us today? And Jesus, would you transform us? Would you make us new so that we're ready for you to pour new, pour new wine into our lives, new life into every area of our being? So God, we love you. You are the God who makes us new. Jesus, you are the one who sets us free. And we pray that you would make us new today so that we are ready and willing for you to pour new life in as you see fit. So God, we love you, we thank you, and we give you, Jesus, all the praise. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Would you give these guys a hand?